There was a man sent there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And then I'm also adding to that, I'm reading from uh, chapter 3, verse 25. Uh, I guess it's not up there, so just listen as I read. Uh, An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing, and everyone is going to him. To this John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourself can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. The joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. Please be seated. We're looking at John as... Some people don't want to call him John the Baptist. Uh, I'm not sure why. If they don't want to give credit to us that he's one of us, I'm not sure. But uh, John the Baptizer, right? If you're uh, Anglican or Lutheran, then you can call him John the Baptizer. But we'll gladly call him John the Baptist. <laughs> somebody, uh, somebody said that, you know, Baptists... Uh, well, that's where the Baptist began, right, with John the Baptist. And someone said, no, actually, it went much further back than that. The Baptist started way back where Abraham and Lot had this discussion. And uh, Abraham said, uh, you go your way and I'll go my way to his nephew Lot. You've probably heard it said that where there are Baptists, two Baptists, you have three opinions, so... Um, Anyway, this is John the Baptist, and we'll gladly call him that. I propose that he's a good person to look at at this time of the year, as we are not there yet, because John preceded Jesus in his birth. He preceded Jesus in ministry, and his ministry was precisely to prepare people for the coming of Jesus. And this is a time of preparation to have a good mindset as we once again celebrate the birth of Christ. Well, who was this man? Why did he come? What was his purpose? What was his mission? And uh, what did he have to say? What was his message? So I want to look at that around these three headings this morning, uh, looking first at John the man, who he was, And then secondly, his mission. Why did he come? His purpose. And then something 
about his message. What did he especially say that relates to us today? But beginning with the man, there are many Johns in the New Testament, and, uh, but this one was a relative of Jesus, and like Jesus, who was born of a virgin, John was also a miracle baby because his mother Elizabeth had not only been barren during her life, life uh, childbearing years, but uh, now she was elderly. And yet an angel of the Lord appeared to her husband Zachariah, who was a priest, and he was in his priestly responsibilities, and this angel appears to him and announces that his wife is going to bear a son. Well, it is so incredible that uh, I think we can understand that he didn't really believe that. How could that be? And uh, uh, though a very devout man, he just couldn't accept it. And the angel told him because of not believing, he would be unable to speak until the baby was born. And uh, he was told that you're to call him John because he's going to precede, uh, you know, the coming of the Messiah. But just think about it. Here, this elderly couple will have parental joy in their elderly years. After all these years of praying, of longing, having a quiet home, now, in just a few months, that home would not be quiet anymore. There'd be the... <laughs> Activities of a little one, including the noise, including the patter of little feet. And Elizabeth would be delivered from her stigma, for in that society, childlessness was a terrible misfortune. Uh, it brought sorrow, and often it was even considered a disgrace, perhaps even a judgment from God, because of something they had done wrong. Miracle baby. And, you know, you look back at God's redemption history, there are other, there's another baby, too, that was a miracle baby that was an important part of the, the link in the chain of his redemptive history. Um, remember Abraham, the father of a great nation, a nation that would be a blessing to the whole world, and this nation would come through a son that would be born to him and Sarah, even though at this point... They were very old. Sarah had been barren in her childbearing years. Now they were old. And then they have Isaac. Miracle baby. Key link. In fact, you could almost argue the first link in uh, the chain of God's redemptive program. And then John the Baptist. Miracle baby. Jesus, miracle baby. Well, John grew up to live a simple, self-denying kind of life. He dressed in rough garb. He ate the simple food available in the wilderness. Matthew tells us that he wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather girdle around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. Matthew also tells us that he came neither eating nor drinking which is a dramatic way of describing a simple, self-denying, ascetic way of life. He did not go into Jerusalem or any city, but he stayed in the wilderness and preached out in the open. 
after many, many centuries where it seems that there just wasn't any uh, prophetic voice from heaven, John broke that silent and was a prophetic uh, influence upon the nation. Well, his preaching would attract the attention of the whole nation. But what was his mission? And so we come to the second point. <coughs> Why? Why did God send him? And uh, A we, is what we might call preparatory. Uh, he was a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament, but his role was especially to announce the imminent arrival of the Messiah and to warn people to prepare, prepare for his arrival. Luke 3, 4, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Preparatory to the ministry of Jesus, which, which would come very soon. But along with preparing for that, he consistently diverted attention to the one that was, who, when he was on earth, already on earth with him. He diverted attention away from himself and to Jesus. You see, John had a high profile now. I mean, he had the attention of the nation, so to speak, and, and they were coming to him, flocks of disciples. And, uh, and so, of course, they were suspecting maybe he's the Messiah. But he consistently diverted attention to the Lord. Luke 3, uh, 15 and 16, and uh, it says the people were waiting expectantly and wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. And John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but more powerful, one more powerful than I will come, the uh, thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It's like John was looking for a way to express how much greater Jesus was than himself. And so we referred to foot washing. See, in that society, there was nothing lower. There was no task lower. It was a task, task for a slave, really. There was nothing lower that you could do, or lowier, lowlier, okay, than to wash feet. That was the ultimate degradation, if you like, if there was anything on the totem pole in terms of what would be the lowliest kind of task. And so John is saying, Jesus who comes after me, uh, the one I want you to prepare for, is so much greater, so much more important than I am, that I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals and wash his feet. Pointing away from himself, making Christ preeminent. And listen to what he says, in, and we read it before, I think, in John 3. People are saying to him, you know this man you've been talking about, Jesus? Well, he too is baptizing on the other side of the Jordan. And well, everyone is going to him. You know, I hate to tell you this, John, but you're losing ground. You're not as popular anymore. Someone's taking your place. 
And John's response, you yourself can testify that I have said I'm not the Christ, but I'm set ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and now complete. And here's the bottom line, really. He must become greater and I must become less. You can see a little, uh, I don't know if it was intended as humorous as not, but we can sort of unpack that and see a little uh, humor in this, in this metaphor. You know, he refers to uh, what in our culture would be the best man at a wedding. And uh, just imagine, just imagine uh, uh, a best man at a wedding kind of thinking, you know, I, I don't like what's going on here. The bride, well, she's the, she's the center of attention. And the groom... The all the aisle eyes are on them, but what about me, you know? And then maybe he tries to change the setting a little bit. You know, he's, uh, he's starting to preen for some attention. He nods condescendingly and knowingly to the pastor and then audibly adds a few moment comments of his own because he's preening for attention. And it's so ludicrous, really, to even, you know, it's even the most boastful, self-centered attention grabbers, that would not be the moment that they would try to get attention. Because everyone knows that this is about the bride and the groom, period. And John is saying, hey, my whole reason for being, my purpose, my raison d'etre, my mission, I'm the best man. I'm here to serve the groom. And Jesus is the groom. And it says he found joy in doing that. He knew why he lived. He knew why he was born. He knew his purpose for living. He lived his purpose. And he says, in this my joy is complete. You know, I think there's something here for us too. When we know why we're here, when we know what our purpose is, to glorify the Lord. And history has examples of, you know, individuals serving in the kitchen and still being so aware they're, they're doing it for the, for the Lord. Christmas is coming. What is it about? Family, friends, presents, cards, lights, stockings. None of those are wrong, but neither are any of them the main thing. It is really about making Jesus preeminent. And so I say enjoy the trimmings, but let them be simply that simply directs you to the ultimate reason. Don't forget the reason for the season. And I strongly suggest that as we make him our focus, as we make Jesus the focus in our worship, in serving others, in our attention, we will be able to say with John that joy is mine and now complete, for Jesus is the reason for the season. There's an old hymn I thought about as I was going over my notes that uh, was introduced to me at Vancouver Bible Institute. A wonderful hymn, There is Joy in Serving Jesus. Okay? There's joy. 
in really serving Jesus. Like that uh, call to worship song that uh, we sometimes use, forget about yourself and concentrate on him. Joy in serving Jesus. You know, there's a story told of a boy who grew up during the Great Depression. Uh, you know, you look at my hair and you would probably want to say, oh, but you remember it very well. No, I don't. I wasn't there yet, but uh, grew up during the Great Depression, and he was all excited because the circus was coming to town. And his dad told him he would have to earn his own money for the <laughs> $1 ticket to go to the circus. Well, he did, and the day that the circus arrived, he went to see the performers and the animals parade through town. And as he watched, a clown came dancing over to him, and the boy put his ticket in the clown's hand. Then he stood on the curb, and he cheered at the rest of the parade moved by. He rushed home to tell his parents what he had seen and how exciting the circus was. His father listened. And then he took his son in his arms and he said, Son, you didn't see the circus. All you saw was the parade. <laughs> Many people get excited about the festivities, but miss, and let's not miss, the main event. The man, well, we told you something about the history of John. His mission, preparing people for Jesus the Messiah, and in doing that, making Jesus preeminent. Well, the next question to look at is, what did he require of the people? Jesus is the coming one, and we are to be prepared for him. What do we need to do? And that's the message. His message had to do with change. Prepare yourself for the coming of Messiah by making whatever change is required. And he used consistently the word repent, because that's what it means. Repent is a turnaround. Luke 3.3, 3, he went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Verse 8, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Repentance is a change of mind, change of heart, change of life. And it has to be wrought by the Spirit of God. We can't successfully pull up our own bootstraps, but we, we need the Lord to work in our hearts, wrought by the Spirit of God. Repentance isn't merely feeling sorrow, grief, or regret, or doing penance, but it's about change. John was preparing a people as it turned out, it would be a remnant, really. But a people transformed and ready to welcome the Messiah. And as it would turn out, in a sense, that was exactly what Jesus would be doing. He'd be preparing people, too. He'd be preparing a, a transformed people. I suggest that too often we have proclaimed only half the purpose of Jesus' coming. You know, that he came so that people could be forgiven of their sins so they can go to heaven. And that's, you know, that's a part of it. But it's not the whole message. He came to save us from condemnation, but that should not be our only, or maybe even the central focus, because it's in a larger package. And that wider, larger 
package is to become a transformed people of Christ followers. People who will simply radiate his wonderful qualities. And our salvation, of course, is based on being connected to him in that way. We are connected to him by faith. But his purpose is in creating us to be a certain kind of people, which is what John, John's mission was about. Earlier, the, as they lit the candle, they read this fascinating, and I call it a Christmas text that's found in Titus chapter 2, for the grace of God has appeared. Sounds like Christmas to me. The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. But think about the kind of people that's, hap- that it's, that's going on here. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Sounds like a transformed people to me. And then the hope, while we wait for the blessed hope. And that hope gives us direction because we're, our hope is towards Him setting all things right, judging evil and setting things right, and we work also towards that. The appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ But then look why he gave himself to redeem us. You know, to have a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Transform people. And that calls us, frankly, to regular repentance as we walk with the Lord and the Spirit alerts us to a change here, a change there, change in thinking here and there, what you might call regular, ongoing repentance, and trusting the Spirit to alert us and then to enable us. Prepare for Jesus, he was saying, Jesus coming by changing their ways. Then the people want to know more specifically. Chapter 3, Luke 3, verse 10, uh, they're saying to him, what shall we do then? You know, what should we do? And he begins giving them some specifics. He says in verse 11, the man who, who with two tunics should share with him who has none. <laughs> Not hard to understand that one. And the one who has food should do the same. And then tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. See, tax collectors were known to often extort, to pocket more than than the tax into their own pockets. And so don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely and be content with your pay. You know, there's something about a uniform that gives you special, I don't know, authority, power. And if you're inclined to take advantage of people, you can use that power to take advantage. Don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. But didn't you notice the common trend here was about money? How are we to change? Well, the first thing that uh, enters into his mind as he looks at, at his crowd, it has to do with money. Be right, do right regarding money. Don't hoard what you have for yourself, but be generous with those who need help. 
Don't use the opportunity as tax collectors to extort soldiers. Don't rob anyone and be content. Repent and be totally above board about the things you possess. You know, we, we often hear the criticism, and we express it ourselves. Christmas has become too commercial, right? We hear that. We're reminded of it, and we agree with that. But if Christmas has become too commercialized, why is that? Isn't it because of people's shopping habits? <laughs> and who are people? You and I, those of us who go shopping. If we choose to spend more money in December than other months, we certainly can't blame the merchants for obliging us, can we? You can't really expect them, uh, you can't re expect the retailers to discourage people from shopping. If the people want it, then uh, they're going to provide it. And so if anyone is to blame for Christmas being too commercialized, it's because of the people who feed the market and who are part of the market. And that includes you and I. But we don't have to be caught up in that. We can simplify so that, like John, our focus is on Jesus. Money here was a common denominator, but, uh, but I think there's something that's even deeper than money here in what uh, John was saying. You see, more basic even than the money matters is uh, taking, you know, at the bottom, it's taking advantage of others, what they were doing. In any way, using one's influence, using one's power, using one's authority in a way that benefits self by depriving others. And uh, as I said, you know, these, these people were in a place to do that, the tax collectors. Splendid opportunity to get a little extra. Those who wore uniforms, it's like they're six foot six just by standing there. And, uh, and, you know, that's part of it, that we don't use whatever ability or power or precision or opportunity we have to take advantage, to use people in a way that deprives them. And God's Word has such an emphasis on that. Uh, God's Word has, shows a special preference for the people who are dependent, the people who need help, the people who can't help themselves, widows and the orphans. And so that's part of what responding to how we are to prepare for Christmas, is to be the kind of people that give rather than take, being generous and... Uh, making things better for people. Don't let money, don't let stuff, things, expensive celebrations displace the glory for Jesus. Not distracted away from the more important. Not being distracted by mere trimmings, but changing, repenting when necessary from the way we've always done it, saying no, no to those things that distract. You know, <clears throat> I think one of the things, and I'm closing with this, 
that uh, we can look at doing is to take the very things that everyone enjoys about Christmas, including ourselves, and then looking for ways in which we can make Jesus central in those very activities. For example, example, family time. Family time, it can, be, it can be a way to be reminded of God's love to us, calling us to be part of his family, and then remembering others who will be alone unless we include them. You know, maybe, maybe we can set aside one day. If 25th is our special family time, maybe the 26th can be a time to include others or vice versa, whatever. But we can think of family time as a special time where Jesus needs to be central. The gifts, letting the gifts represent God's gift to us. And then remembering we are to be on the giving end, passing it on, being generous towards good causes like Samaritan's Purse or Salvation Army, World Vision, the own, your own MCC, whatever organizations you are supporting. And then feasts. Remember, remembering he came to bring us joy. But the best kind of joy is spirit-filled, a joy that comes in part because we live by the purpose he has given us. And that is to serve Jesus by serving others. And so the call is not to be a Scrooge, but to make Jesus central in all things. And I was... I was delighted to see that uh, the song that they had chosen for the end had to do with Jesus being, Christ being at the center. Let's pray and then we'll sing that closing song. Father, it's such a huge gift that has come to us. But with that, there is the responsibility. We are stewards of something so special And so, Father, as we go into the season, help us to be alert to the ways that we can use what you've given to us to be a gift to others. And that we would do that as serving Jesus Christ and then ultimately through that knowing that he is honored and he is glorified. May we serve you well by serving others. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.